Welcome to Business and Investing with Grant and Charlie, where we are enhancing your complete set of skills to build wealth inside and outside your business. Charlie, you got any passive income outside of your property investments? I do, but it's certainly not this podcast. <laughs> I was sitting there like, and um, do you make income off this podcast? Probably not. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on because I have some advice for you. I think you need to get on the email newsletter. Yeah, be careful. We can get sued for saying things like that. We're not allowed to give advice on this podcast. I'm telling you, it's not advice. I'm telling you so to do something. <laughs> so, Charlie, head over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. Put in your name and email and I will send you an email every time you write them and I get the team to schedule them. And then you'll be notified every time we get one of these episodes released. Now, before we continue on, let's cue your disclaimer. It's Charlie here from Business and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Business and Investing team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you personal or specific financial advice. We strongly encourage you seek out and use professionals when you are making investment decisions or comparing investment products. All right, Grant, here we are for another Q&A episode. This one's going to be a fun one. There's some juicy, controversial topics in this one. I feel like you've just poked everybody to like send through the most controversial questions you possibly have. Or you've just like collated them like a little squirrel with nuts and you were just like waiting for this one day and it's like, and it, we'll use these questions. Hey, what's actually, what do you think the most controversial question we get asked is? Oh, uh, that's a good, good question. I'll go first. Okay. I'll buy you some time. All right. We okay. can have a little think. The most controversial question that I continually get asked is people will reach out to me and look for me to validate that it's okay for them to buy too much house. That's the one that continually comes, comes out. Like I, I'm very stern on my stance that I think one of the biggest mistakes a business owner can make is buying a house that's uh, outside of their kind of, you know, financial capacity at that point because it just limits what they can do with their totally. business and their investing. Where I think if you keep that in check, you invest in your uh, wealth and also your business, kind of comes back around and then you can buy whatever house you want. But it's continually the thing where it's like uh, they almost want me to validate it's okay for them to do a stupid thing and I just won't. You know what? I'll piggyback off the back of that. How many times have you had the questions of like trying to get you to validate their investment ideas? And it's I, almost like they're trying to sell you on it? And he's like, you don't need to sell me on it. I'm not, I'm not bought into this. Like, this is not me. <laughs> yeah, but I don't find that controversial though. The house thing I find very controversial. I find it controversial in the sense that they're just looking for validation. In the sense of outsourced accountability, Charlie. Oh, that is, that is it. Now we're there. Outsourced we're there. accountability. That is a controversial topic. <laughs> so I'm going with that one. That was mine. All right, moving on. Let's dig into some questions. I'm not actually sure who this question uh, came from, but we definitely had it a few times. So to the people that sent them in, a big thank you. Just a reminder before we do go. Actually, I'm not even going to do it. If you've listened to this podcast for a while now, you'll find out how to send me a question if you want me to answer a question. People are figuring it out. Go to the newsletter and hit reply. All right, Charlie, what's the first question? All right, what are the risks of buying property with a friend or family member? Now, before we get into this one, Grant, have you ever considered buying a property with a friend or family member? No, I have not. And when you ask this question- You haven't even considered it. No. (laughs) I I absolutely have. Hang on. Family- Hang on, let me be specific. Family member, no. Friend, yes. That's a better delineation. 
All right, so we're, we're, let, before we get into the why it's such a bad idea, which, you know, spoiler <laughs> alert, why do people think it's a good idea? You know what's funny? I'm going to like rewind a second. When you ask that question, you know when you go to like school and they've got like 100 students and they're like, who wants to do this thing? And there are just too many hands and they're like, wait, wait, wait. I'll just like reverse the question. And it's like, well, who doesn't want to do the thing? And then like only a few hands go up. When you ask this, like, what are the risks of buying property? I saw too many hands. And like, what about the other question of like, what are the benefits of buying property with friends and family? Because I think you'll see fewer hands. These fewer. Then why points. does it come up so often? I, I feel from the conversations that I've had with people is really interesting. The people that I've spoken to are who are property investors almost see it as an olive branch and a lifeline to help the ones that they love come onto a better journey. Do you know what? That's actually a fairly good reason. I'm not going to say it's the greatest reason, but I can acknowledge that is true. And for me, at a point in time, I definitely wanted to buy a property with my mum because I felt like she wouldn't do it on her own. So this is my ability to bring her into the inner sanctum of property investing. So I could acknowledge that. I I saw a gentleman who wanted to buy it with his cousin who was going through some financial challenges and all of these things as a way to get him into the journey, get him bought into the process. And I'm like, it's a very risky way to go about approaching that rather. So the other one, which is more common, unfortunately, though, I, I see is actually when people have a lack of confidence or belief in themselves, they're using it as a crutch. It's like- yeah, the cannabis. Yeah. And um, very, very common as well, where it's like, they almost feel like it's there's a huge risk. So if they split the risk with someone else and they think it's a good idea- well, then, oh, then it'll be okay. It's almost as good as, uh, oh, Charlie, you told me to invest in this thing. I will put money in it because if it doesn't work, it's not my fault. Well, we let's go straight to crypto. Why not? <laughs> you knew exactly what I was leading towards. <laughs> yeah, because, oh, well, if Elon Musk's got Bitcoin, then it's safe for me to have Bitcoin. So yeah. if someone else is in with you on the purchase of a property, you feel like it's safer. So I was like, if Grant was willing to invest in this house, well, maybe I should too. We should partner on it. It'll be okay. It's deferred risk. Yep. And that's where I think a large portion of it does come from. So for a lot of people, rather than backing themselves and going through the investment journey more thoroughly and properly, doing more due diligence, getting the right education and resources and team, there's like a half-assed approach that exists where they're kind of looking to this to kind of shortcut that process. Being half pregnant. Completely. Totally. Should we get into why it's such a bad idea and how it goes wrong? Man, I, I almost thought we could do a whole episode just on the stories of this going wrong. And please do. don't let me forget when we move on. There is actually one circumstance where I would do it, but I'll right. give that away at the end because I do think it's appropriate in a certain circumstance. All right. The carrot has been dangled. Yeah. So <laughs> my first one was obviously the financial risks. Now, there's obviously the financial risks of going into it which is who are you going to go 50-50? Does someone not have the cash now so someone else is going to make up the cash? Uh, what about if it goes negative from a cash flow perspective? How do you play that game? But also one of the stories that I've got was a friend of mine bought a property in Tasmania with his parents. Uh, and then he wanted to go and buy another property out towards like Torquay, which is on the beach in, in Victoria. And so he wanted to extract out the cash that had been earned from said property, which then obviously increased the interest rate cost, which, and this was before the interest rates had gone up, et cetera. And it created this huge problem for his parents when they then needed to go and submit like tax returns on extracted equity <laughs> and all these things. Like it was, it just had all these other impacts on everything. 
And it, he's like, I wish I just bought them out and just had the property myself because I could have just done this whole financing thing instead of having to deal with them, consider them, look through their books and do all those kind of things. And I think that's something that people don't consider when they go in of the second order consequences. It's like, oh, we'll go 50-50, Charlie, when we go in. But what about the actual operating and refinancing and everything like that into the future? Like that's almost more important than just the 50-50 cash in. But you know who pulled me up on this the most? Because that's such the great point. This is the biggest point. It's not the can you buy a property with someone and can you make uh, a success of an individual property. It's the impacts on other things outside of that. The second order consequences is huge to your point. I think that's an excellent point, by the way, Grant. Um, Aaron, our mortgage broker, though, he's the one that broke this down for me in a really interesting way. He's like, Charlie, I want you to imagine you buy a property for a million dollars and it uh, goes up. uh, Let's say it goes up to being... 1.5, right? $500,000 increase. He's like, your portion only went up 250 grand though. And so just imagine this for a second. You only get half of the upside, but 100% of the liability in the bank's eye. So when it comes to borrowing power, it's like the worst idea ever. Yep. So when the bank looks at you, they go, oh, well, you're liable for this whole million dollar property, but you only get half the upside. (laughs) So you can actually trap and stall your borrowing capacity because that bank, in their view, gives you 100% of the liability and only half of the asset. <laughs> There's so much to this point that you can just break down. I'm, I, I'm just, I'm already scared. I'm already concerned. Like you have so many scenarios. Like, what if I like 95% LVR and you like 80%, Charlie? And I'm just going to keep maxing out mine. That's on your risk profile. <laughs> that's like everyone's problem. Well, just to be clear on that, because um, how it's finance is a whole different conversation. Yeah. It could be one loan that you do together or two split. separate loans, like, or someone might be coming in with cash and someone else might be borrowing. Right. But you just have to look at this in a really, really unique way that it's like point one is the knock on offense. Point two is looking at the idea that you can severely stuff up your borrowing power. Severely, yeah. you could think you're actually creating the ability to go faster. Going, oh, awesome! Well, me and Grant in this example, using us as there, going, we could buy a house together, and then we've got one more. We see, we've actually gotten one quicker, not realizing that you've just destroyed any ability to borrow in the long term. Completely. So, so yeah. the borrowing power implications alongside of this, I just think, are huge as well. Totally. I um, do you want me to jump on another point? Do it. Okay, I got heaps. Psh. I was, I was speaking to the scenario that we we're talking about when we first asked the question uh, around this guy who wanted to sort of purchase a place with his cousin uh, because his cousin is not in the greatest financial position and obviously he wants to sort of pull him through and just help him out. Um, and the situation I posed to him, I said, okay, well, what's your goal for buying property? <laughs> wait, wait, I just have to pause right there. I know it's his cousin, but if you're essentially going into a business partnership on a, pro- with, on a property – you're not describing someone I would want to go into partnership with. Life's not working out for him. I'm like, probably wouldn't start a business with someone whose life isn't working out. <laughs> this was this was my question because, I, well, no, I like my first question was actually like, what about your brother's sisters and like immediate family? Why did you go straight to the cousin? And it was, uh, he's just helped me out personally in some sort of other situations. There's some really good intentions there, totally. right? That's the whole thing. That's um, and I, so, I do want to acknowledge the good intentions. And it, it was. And they're from a Greek background and I completely get it. And they're completely supportive of it. But I just said, well, what's your goal? And he's like, I just want to hold forever. He's like, I don't want to sell the property. I just want to hold on to it. And I said, what about your cousin? 
And he's like, yeah, he's a little bit more of a, once it increases, get the win. It's like you go to the casino, win, and then like walk out. Uh, and I'm like, okay, so what happens when that when that occurs in five years, 10 years, 20 years? Is like, it's a good question. I don't actually know. I hope that we would be able to figure that out at that point. To which I'm like, that's concerning. <laughs> <laughs> because if, how are you going to play those games? How can he even be certain in his own situation though? Because life happens. I'll give you some examples here that I think are really fascinating. You might buy a property with all the intention of holding it forever, but what if your family situation changes? So, for example, what if uh, you're married at the time and you end up divorced and you need to sell this property so you can buy yourself another home to live in? Totally. Now, no one plans on getting that into that situation. Like someone intended to, I think, when they get married, to be in the relationship for the rest of their life. But if life was to happen, and many people would say, well, I won't get a divorce. We'll make the situation worse. Unfortunately, your wife passes away or something of that nature, which is a changing environment. Or maybe you have a kid, right? Or not even that. I want to do a better one because I know this has happened to someone in my life. You intend to have a kid and then you accidentally have triplets. <laughs> just keep Plan just, for that one. Just rip that wound open and rub salt into a child. It's like That's one day fine. you're looking at, you know, Mazda CX-5s or, you know, Tiguan's, and then you throw that away. It's only Kia Carnivals for us from now on. Minibus, here we come. <laughs> Life gets interesting. Totally. So when you create these types of endeavors, it's like I think it's this is where it's like how can you be sure that your own circumstances are going to st- uh, remain the same? And when it comes to investing in property, I think because it is such an illiquid asset and has its own challenges, giving yourself good flexibility with what you can and can't do with your own portfolio, very important. Yeah. And that, funnily enough, that actually leads to like my third point, which is like, yeah, if what if one of them loses their job or has the inability? What happens if there's something that happens in the property, right? Like, a, I don't know, roof caves in across the top of the garage. I don't know. That would be an insurance job. <laughs> totally. No, there's a uh, – just think about – I know, scenarios. I totally shit on your point there, but I couldn't resist because I was, I was going to sit there and I'm like, well, imagine they didn't have insurance, Charlie. No, yeah, but Let's say there's an extended vacancy. Completely. Or they needed to, I don't know, there was, I don't know, there'd be a problem that I couldn't think of right now that is not covered by insurance, Charlie. Well, that, think about the, um, what's that tower in Sydney that had all the cracks and oh, everyone had to be um, evacuated? I think it's with, or, it's not Oracle Tower, was it? Something like that. I don't I feel know like that we should name it because we don't know, right? So let's just, is it Opal Towers? <laughs> Opal, yes. I think it begins with O. Uh, well, we don't know the name, and if there is an Opal Towers out there that is uh, doing we fine love and, and structurally sound, good on you. Um, we don't want to at all have a defamation situation <laughs> on our hands. Uh, but the point being on this one is like that whole building had to be evacuated. There were investors who bought who could never collect rent and still had mortgages to pay. Totally. Things happen. Totally. I was, and I was even thinking about what happens if one of them loses their job and it was negatively geared, for example. And it's like, okay, well, does the other one cover it? Do they have the capacity to cover it? What happens? And so these these types of circumstances that if you just own it 100% outright, that you have the ability to push and pull those levers where when you're factoring in someone else's situation and their goals and their personal beliefs and all those kind of things, like it just, it creates a recipe for mild disaster or at least a position you just wouldn't want to be putting anyone else, let alone yourself into. Completely. I'm going to give you one more. I think we should share some stories on this. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I have someone I know who um, they have a family business that operates on a reasonable amount of land. Okay, and they've operated that business for a long time. And what's interesting is it's um, 
four brothers who actually have it. It might be three, might be four. Either way, the example Go for work. Go for I feel like four is easy to work with here. We'll go totally four. Is. Um, anyway, case being is there's quite an age range difference between the brothers and there's also a retirement difference between the brothers. So like some want to retire earlier, some are happy to keep working. They're all hitting different stages of life and it's like what's important for them, so to your point of knock-on consequences, has become a, a really challenging situation. So for some of the brothers, they're getting older and they're like, I want to retire. I want to sell the land that this is on so I can enjoy my retirement. For others, they're like, I'm not ready to retire yet and I still need to earn income to support my family, so I'm not selling the land. And because they haven't been able to come to an agreement or any future planning put in place here, it's just kind of there doing its thing. And then everyone's like frustrated at each other. And they're just like, wow, man, I want to sell this thing. It's like, no, I don't want to sell this thing. Like, well, especially in this case because the land is their retirement plan. Totally. That's how they kind of viewed it. And uh, to be fair, the land's quite valuable and I suspect one day it will be snapped up by a developer and be some sort of something. But yep. it's just very, very interesting how that's played out in retirement. So, again, to this whole point, I feel like this is like knock-on events. Yeah, totally. I'm curious. What would have to happen in order for you to buy an investment property with me? I mean, for you to buy an investment property with anybody. All right. So I think we've really or hopefully brought some light to the downsides of why buying a property with someone else is is a terrible idea. But there are circumstances where it does make sense and I go through them. Uh, number one is there's the world of syndicates. So for anyone who isn't aware, syndicates are an idea of like doing group buys and there's like literally you can there's some that are listed on the ASX. Yep, which are just like big syndicates. You can REITs, REITs. and things like that. Real estate um, investment trusts. Yeah, there's yep. also unlisted ones and, and a whole bunch of stuff that goes on in that world. Yep. Now, the reason why I'm going, okay, if you're interested in buying a property with someone, why might this be an approach is because you have the ability to buy and sell your share. It's not as connected to another person. Now, noting that it's a highly unliquid market, so it is even less liquid than some other ones, but at least it gives people individual options because of the nature how it's set, it's set up. So I think that if someone's really into the idea of buying property with other people, that is a world they can explore. Totally. But it's a whole different world to like buying houses that are actually yours, right? It's the difference between like starting a business and buying a share on the share market, right? Greatest analogy, because <clears throat> it's not like you can influence the products that Apple are producing versus the products that your own business will produce. Well, it's I mean, I have shares in my super and they're in the ASX 200. I'm pretty sure Coles is in that list, right? I can't. I mean, I shop at Coles, but there's not much I can do to influence it. Are you telling uh, me you've never written them a letter? Well, I would assume I also have Coles, uh, Woolworths shares. So as long as everyone keeps eating, we're, we're good. Just don't shop at Coles. You look hungry right now. <laughs> have you thought about a meal? <laughs> so I, I like this point. I think the the only caveat though is like, do you just go back to all the family members and the friends and just like go and buy a REIT? <laughs> Go and buy some shares. Well, I would honestly protect a lot of relationships. So when you come down to this, what is often not spoken about, ask anyone who's done it what's happened to the relationship of the with the person they bought a property with. Totally. Yeah, like I'm sure there's examples where it's gone well, don't get me wrong, but the overwhelming majority, it doesn't go well and it actually does a huge amount of damage. So in the case of the person I know in this family business, it's conflict between the brothers. Totally. Yeah. It's not a happy discussion. Even though, like, they're very well off because of this land. Or um, just imagine this, right? Let's say you and I did buy a property together and then I had triplets and I'm like, dude, i got to sell this property. i got triplets on the way. And I'm sure you would be understanding, but is that still not a, like, how do we expect that to go well? 
Totally. I would, I would never let you for, forget that for the rest of your life too. C- completely. So you stand the chance of doing damage in a relationship with someone you care about. You know, the, the scenario that kept coming back through my mind that I could see this working, notwithstanding it still has a significant amount of risks. Don't you dare steal my answer. You, you stop right there. I'm finishing this <laughs> and then I will and you can decide. So right, where, right, do, right, where right. does this work? <laughs> All right. I would I buy a property with you under the following circumstances, Grant. If we were going to do a development and at the end of the development there was two titles and you had one and I had one, I would do it. Because there's a clear distinction where we're separate after it. So there's a set amount of time that we can agree in that hopefully I know building uh, and all the rest of it comes out of it from there. But in that type of circumstance, I would be cool with it. Very similar uh, to what I was going to say. But Because there's a key component to that, which is what I was going to focus on, is the project itself. So it's a a finite specified period of time with a, a loosely outlined expenditure noting the building costs have like doubled. So it's like, sure, like then there is a set criteria of completion. It's like, an exit. Exactly. And so the, th- the other thing that was running through my mind in addition to that, so if you were to go and build, I don't know, buy a block, build two townhouses, you get a townhouse, I get a townhouse, like it's, the thing is done, it's done. The other one was flipping of going, cool, like we're going to buy a place, f- renovate it or get other people to renovate it and we'll flip it within 12 months, 24 months. What I just used it as an example there's a fine Hold it up. Pa- pause it there. I literally in my Apple notes have that written down if they change stamp duty. Oh, so dude, if, if they Wales. change stamp yeah, duty yeah, yeah. to land tax and flipping becomes viable, I have actually thought about hitting you up for that. I'm just calling it. We should set that up for a TV show. We could be like the flippers in Australia. Like, you know, all the American guys like people that do flipping. <laughs> I'm going to put it out there right now. Is the TV show better to be successful? Because I'm not sure our flips will be successful. <laughs> Oh, that'll be entertaining, that's for sure. De- definitely, I can <laughs> promise that. Watch my pillow hands go and swing a hammer. It'd be great. It's always fun. like um, I- I've spent a bit of time in the building industry, right? I've actually done a lot of renovations as a plumber. And I've watched people f- like you build stuff. <laughs> yes, you have. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I wouldn't hire you for your handyman <laughs> skills, that's for sure, Grant. Um, anyway, the point being, which you know I always found really funny with renovations, right, is people would go into these renovations with the idea of making money. And I'll just watch their decision-making because they weren't in the industry about the irrational things they would do that just wouldn't increase the property value. Like, did you know white basic tiles and then like really expensive tiles, like the cost increase in the really expensive tiles versus the like what the property will be worth, really not different? I have friends. One of them bought these amazing downlights at 500 bucks each. And then they flipped it <laughs> and then another one bought these amazing Italian tiles and did all the bathrooms with these things and then flipped it. And then they bought another place and like, we're never buying those tiles again. That adds zero value. And they like went to like whatever the tile joints in Australia is. And it's like, it's like a tenth of the price. Yeah, people don't. And in just to clarify a point, in a premium market, the things we've said might actually work, right? So if you were to be in uh, Rose Bay, Totally. Those types of downlights or really expensive tiles might be essential in your flip so that you meet the needs in the market. That's fair. But that's not what people do. People in average suburbs put in things that should be in Rose Bay and then wonder why their flip or renovation wasn't successful. Fascinating. Um, anyway. So I'm in charge of buying tiles. Got it. Thanks. In the uh, conclusion of this point here is that when there is a set exit and set rules and really even shorter timelines to independence. Right? Absolutely. 
I would think that up to three years is okay, but I don't think anyone can forecast their life really that well past there. And factory intentions, but shit happens. And factory buffers as well. Like everything's going to go awry when you're doing those projects and stuff like that. But um, dude, this is the, the things that scare me mildly. Mildly scare me. All right, let's jump on to the next question. I'm ready. Jade up. Uh, we, we also don't know who this question is from. We should really write down the names on this one, Grant. I feel like we could improve our Q&A. I feel as though this is my job and I've completely dropped the ball on it. <laughs> sure, when, you br- when you brought it up for the first question, I'm like, oh, shit, I should have put their name in. <laughs> well, people appreciate a shout-out. No, I know. All right. So this one has actually come up a few times as well. I've had a, uh, In recent times, I'm pretty sure I know why it's come up. But I've been quizzed on the idea on what are our thoughts on Airbnb and holiday rentals or short-term rentals in general. One of the people who asked is Ben. So we can give a shout-out to Ben. All right, Ben. You've got this. Awesome. Charlie, what are your thoughts? I'll let you kick it off. Okay. I got a lot to say on this one. I'm going to soapbox it. I'm going to mic hog. There's going to be a lot going on here. You ready for this? I'll just keep poking the bear. Got it. I'll let you. All right. You're on the soapbox. Here's the mic. Go. All right, so the first thing I think when I look at Airbnbs, right, is that if you're going to get into that, you have to appreciate it's its own business model. Yes, and it's different to a property investing business model. Completely. Just like commercial property is different, right? Just like uh, US property is different. Like there's all these things where it's different. Yep. So if you were to approach Airbnb in the same way that you would approach doing what I'll just call normal residential real estate investing, you stand to do quite poorly. Just like if someone, you know, to use an example, it's like if someone was running a video store and then they were trying to run a streaming service, different business. Yeah. They both go, yeah, cool, but they both have content, It's but it's very, very different in ideation of how it actually works. So I think that's a really important thing to set up that if you're going to go into this world, you want to become a specialist at the thing. All right. So that's it. Second thing, can you be successful at this? Absolutely. I think we both actually know some people that have done quite well from Airbnb. Yeah, I know a guy crushing it. Airbnb. Well, that's the allure, right, of it. Now, what I see currently, and this is what concerns me, is for a lot of people, the hunt for cash flow is on. They're looking at their portfolio, maybe uh, with all the rate rises, they've started to get close to negative gearing or they've seen their cash flows fall and they're starting to go, well, what would happen if I turned my property from being a long-term rental or a normal rental into like a short-term holiday rental? Like what type of difference can I see in cash flow? And that's what they're hunting for, but not really changing the business model of what they do. They're not appreciating the things that go into it. And that would be a really, really big concern if I was going into that in itself. Totally. I am. Yeah, I, I concur with what you say before I start trying to solve it for everybody. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> yes. I want to talk into some of the risks on this because I, this is where people may not necessarily realize it. So number one, I just want, um, maybe at this point is always disrelevant for me because I appreciate it so much, is not many people would understand or know that if you have a Airbnb, it's addressed differently by the banks and affects your borrowing power massively. I'm so glad you touched on this point. Why, Charlie? Which, Why is it seen differently by the banks? Okay, so just imagine this is like if you've got if you go to the bank and you go, look, I've got a long term rental contract here. I've got someone who signed a two year lease. Will you lend me more money? I've got two years of guaranteed income here. I've got a Take contract. All the money you want. Yeah, versus someone comes to the bank and go, look, I've got this thing on Airbnb. There's no guarantee of income at all, 
It's also in a holiday market, which, you know, there's a recession on. Can I have more money? No, Charlie. I would not give you more money. Same property. So that's where it becomes really, really interesting is that you have to really look at what this could do to your borrowing power because the income could change dramatically. And if you're in an accumulator stage, not naming anyone here, or if you're in a more settled stage, that point alone might be the difference in like why you would or would not take up the idea of doing an Airbnb. So you could just like blow your foot off accidentally here with your borrowing power and not realize it. Yeah, because the figure that you're looking at is just cash flow per potential per month as opposed to how does it impact your borrowing capacity and how the how do the bank say it? Yeah, and if you are a property investor, I think you've got to be continually thinking three, four, five moves ahead. It's not just how does this affect today, it's how does this affect my future plans. And if you're done accumulating, this might be a great way to increase cash flow. But if you're oh, not... Yeah. This might be a really poor short-term decision. Totally. Um, one of the other risks that I always see is like the time investment. Like to your point, you've got, we'll call it residential and commercial and all of that. And then you've got like short-term rental, we'll call it like the Airbnb holiday rentals. And it's fundamentally a different operating model. So if you've been a successful property investor, it doesn't actually mean that you're going to be a successful Airbnb and holiday rental person. No, right? this you- is an active sport. <clears throat> Yeah, you're talking about listings, you're talking about pricing, you're talking about peaks, troughs, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sundays, cleaners, you've got to furnish the joint. You've, there is just so many other elements to it outside of buying a place and just putting it up, getting a property manager to rent a void. Hey, hey, Grant, have you ever noticed, right, when you, when you uh, let's say, put a new tenant in a property, the first, like, month or so is when all the problems come? Yes. Again, I don't know what it is with tenants and doors, right? Whatever it is. <laughs> It's always a hole in a door or a door that won't close or something. It just seems to be stalking me, this door issue. But what I would say, could you imagine if that's a new tenant every week? Dude, I am a mate of mine, Airbnb's one of his places. Man, he's had to replace carpet in bedrooms from like red wine vomit. Um, He's had to paint walls that have had holes in them and everything. Like it's just, and he's fine with it. He's like, cool, like they'll get the Airbnb insurance. But it's just this thing where he can't rent it out when they could do the maintenance. It's just more things that he has to worry about and think about on top. That he's like, I didn't actually think about these things previously before I got into it. And he's like, I'm still going to get into it. It's just like, I just kind of wish I knew so I could prepare myself for what I was going to get into. Completely. Yeah. And I'll go even further than this. Let's just acknowledge that this is a higher risk investment class. Like if, I'll put it this way, let's say a recession does occur, people still going to pay rent. It's very, very mm. unlikely that people compromise on the place they live in. Some markets maybe, but do you know what people do cut back on if the economy changes? Holidays? Holidays. Yeah. Yeah. So like this is something where you have to acknowledge it is a more volatile income stream. Like it, it really is. So again, I look at that as just one of the risks that come with it. But I want to go to what I think is now the biggest risk with Airbnb. And I don't want to poo-poo on it the whole way through. As I said, I've seen people kill it at it if you're going to make this the thing. But what concerns me with this the most is actually legislation risk. Dive deeper. Dive deeper. What have we seen? All right. So I um, I actually did a bit of research into this and there was a whole ABC News video on it about a guy who had decided as his retirement plan and he was a mountain biker. He likes mountain biking that he was going to buy a whole heap of houses near this mountain bike trail in uh, Tasmania. He was going to live in one and kind of manage the properties, upkeep them. Like this was his retirement plan. He just wants to ride his bike every day. And you know what? Credit to him for wanting to live his dream. 
Now, what happened though is like all the other accommodation businesses in the area weren't happy about this. Of course. Yeah, he's just come in, he's added all this stock onto the market, better stock, I dare say, as well, which is why they were so upset. And it was taking business away from him. So they could, you know, complaining to council, talking about all these things. And the request they put in is they go, hey, we pay way higher rates and all this stuff because we run a business. This guy's running a business. This is an accommodation business, just like our hotels, just like our motor inns. He should have to pay the same rates we do. So this guy's council rates went from being about $1,000 a year to about $9,000 a year per property. Ouch. Yeah. So I think what we are going to see, and this is a a prediction, a Charlie Airbnb prediction, I think a lot of the accommodation providers are going to fight and this is just going to be the new way going forward. I think that um, it's going to be huge the amount of legislation that's going to come into things like Airbnb because people are essentially running mini hotels. Yep. So it's going to start to be treated like that. And these cash flows that we see in this way aren't going to look like they do today. Totally. And then no doubt that will then go and impact borrowing because they'll perceive it not as a, potentially not as a residential anymore. They might look at it as a completely different format of loan, like maybe a commercial, et cetera, which then just changes the game entirely because it comes back to your lumpy income versus regular income like there's just so many changes that can potentially happen and so when i think about this of just going okay well if you're aware that something might change and it might be a stay the same for the next year two years five years ten years whatever it is i was like well how do you play that kind of scenario and one of the things that i look at on top of that is i just go well do the numbers stack up if you convert it from an airbnb to uh what do we call it normal rental normies it's a (laughs) normies real estate investment totally and so one of the one of the people that I know, he's he rents out like buses and like tree houses and stuff like that in their Airbnb, which is awesome. Like it's like this experience. You're going for an experience that you typically can't get elsewhere. It's like glamping. So, hang on. I love that, right? That's giving him an edge. Totally. That's something where he can potentially charge a premium so to cover these things. Totally. But then if you if you look at that and he a lot of people will demand these things, but then it's like, cool, if a whole heap of people stop going on holidays. And the demand slightly decreases. Can he still cover his costs, or does he even have an option to convert it across into like, "Hey, Charlie, do you want to do a two-year rental lease out of this bus?" <laughs> right? And you go, "Okay, well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe you can." I think it's just more going in there with eyes wide open. Of I, I, I actually do wonder. I, I think there's somewhere out there, someone out there that would rent that. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably talking to the type of guy that would rent it right now. Um, but so I look at that and I just go, okay, well, this guy from the mount, mountain biking scenario, maybe his other play is, okay, well, based on all of my expenses and what I have to deal with, maybe there's an opportunity for me to convert it back from like an Airbnb to a longer term rental just to validate and just crunch the numbers on a Google sheet to say, well, if it does change, I'm not, it's not going to be a wipeout scenario. Like I'm not sitting here holding the bag going, oh, smokes, like what am I going to do with this thing? There is some kind of way out. See, this is why I'm conflicted. I'm very conflicted by Airbnb because I love the idea of flexibility where if you've got a holiday rental and you need to sell, selling a motel is way harder than flipping it back into a house and selling it as a, you know, four-better, two-bathroom type thing. Totally. So, like, I love the ability to get some of the income advantage from the accommodation advantage of being an Airbnb. But then I also love the idea of well, if it's technically a house and it's a residential real estate, the appeal to buyers and liquidity in that market is much higher. It's almost like you just flip that switch back. Completely. I think yeah. it offers like great flexibility in what you can do here. 
But the confliction comes from because I look at this and go, I think if you were truly going to be a great Airbnb business owner, the thing you want to be getting into the most is unique experience. Yep. Because that's where you can charge a premium. And I'm, I'm sure you've seen some of these ones as well, right? Have you ever seen like some of these like farmland properties where they build like the tree houses, as you've said, or like yep. the unique stuff? Those are the ones where I think they're probably doing very well from it because people will pay an exorbitant amount past what they're comparing to like a motel down the road. Completely. Completely. I am. Um, yeah. I, those are the ones that I sit there and I go, it's like a one in one. It's you go into, I don't know, Tasmania and you're going mountain biking, for example. And you're like, cool. I, I would enjoy kicking it in a bus for a week where I can wash the bike out the front and I can go and it's like semi-camping and things like that that I just won't get if I'm in like a motel or a bigger resort where it's more like you just go there to sleep as opposed to go there to enjoy it. Do you have any temptation in adding one of these to your portfolio? (laughs) Not with the business. Like I just look at this as it has to be an active approach where you're looking to, yeah, you're really looking to try and add value and create that uniqueness in order for it to be successful. And I see a lot of people moving to this model, especially with interest rates increasing and they're looking for the yield in order to convert it across. And so I actually see it becoming more of a saturated market in areas that I typically would buy investment properties because I want the growth, I mildly want the cash flow. And so if I was to put this on top, I just think I'm just going to get washed out. Like I think that the lumpy revenue will just end up decreasing over time as law of diminishing returns as more people get in. And I just go, you know what? I'm I'm happier with the long-term stable income, going to families, looking for good schools, looking for a good lifestyle than I am going for actively trying to select a really good location for an Airbnb and create it to be something unique and then go and make someone manage it and clean it and flip it and do all those kind of things every single time a new person comes in and out. And I'm like, the revenue and the potential profit that I can make off that versus what I would make if I put the same amount of effort into like a business, I'm like, it's just not there for me at this stage. Yeah, I'm in the same camp as you. I am in the same camp. I just think it would be like one of those things, like to make it business related. It's like adding a new product and service where you need to add in a whole new management way with it. So I look at it and go, why wouldn't I just scale the existing thing I've got because it doesn't change my management system? Where if I start delving into this world, I've got to bring in, you know, new tracking, new way of running, new processes. And it's like it wouldn't be worth it to just do for one. Yeah, where if you I, have to do it for a group. Yeah, you'd want to be doing it for like, let's say instead of doing one property, you'd want to potentially do it for like four or five so that it's like it's worth investing in that infrastructure to make it so. And again, yep. I won't say never. This might be the thing that I choose to do in my retirement years, Grant. Now, if you if you flip that question and said, hey, Grant, would you be interested in looking at like a motel or like a caravan park or something like that? You might have my mild attention. <laughs> Interesting. Why? I see it as different. So it's not necessarily a holiday slash Airbnb income. Well, that's and a business, would, right? That's a different category altogether. But I can Exactly. But I can win a business. I, I kind of mildly know that business, but it's another kettle of fish outside of Airbnb and holiday rentals, which... We might actually need to do an episode on this, Charlie, and dissect it. I have actually been spending more time in caravan parks more recently. So uh, on the personal life front, I've been doing what I'll call weekending. And when you've got a young kid, caravan parks are excellent. Some of the facilities and water parks and things that go on, not to mention all the other kids running around that they get to play with. So hot tip for the parents out there. But 
the appeal of buying a caravan park and me being on that caravan park as the owner, I thought it has crossed my mind. <laughs> like you just like you're in a nice location, you're always wearing thongs, some sort of beard I would grow. I can see, you know, always a tinny in hand. I don't know why. So you, just, it's just what happening. You'd be out with the Lord, Mum. Hey guys, what's going on? This is Charlie. Is the, I can see it. I can see it. I wrap it up. Do you oh, know what? Though I would love to meet someone who has gone that route and has made like caravan parks their business model in Australia. I haven't found that person. I did meet the owners of a big four caravan park in Bright. Quite a nice caravan park, and the way they were approaching it was pretty baller. I must admit, I was very impressed. But overall, I'd love to know if anyone's delved into that world. I'd love to hear from you. Um, let's wrap it up. Amen. If you're listening to this going, holy smokes, this was valuable, head over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. Put in your ne- name and email and I'll ensure that Charlie and I cover other valuable episode topics as well. Just want to say thank you for joining us and we'll catch you on the next episode of Business and Investing. <laughs>